Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and Star Alvarado, our Bay Area Realtor. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swan Lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is going to win. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back in another episode, Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. It is Final Four weekend coming up here for the men and the women. The men will be in Houston, FAU, Miami, UConn, and San Diego State. And we got the ladies who will be in Dallas for the Final Four. On Friday night will be the semifinals. You're going to have Iowa, South Carolina, and LSU, Virginia Tech. Iowa, if you haven't watched, Iowa will be led by by just named player of the year, Caitlin Clark, the uh, electric guard from Iowa. She's kind of a Steph Curry-esque shooter, can, has unlimited range. She's the first young lady ever to have a triple, a 40-point triple-double in the NCAA tournament. She accomplished that in the regional final. Uh, she scored 40 in their win uh, on Monday night. And now they will match up with the consensus number one undefeated South Carolina Gamecocks, led by Dawn Staley, Alicia Boston, uh, Zaya Cook, the the you know the juggernaut juggernauts heading into this Final Four, trying to repeat as national champions. Again, they're undefeated, and so we are going to see if the Caitlin Clark led Hawkeyes can dethrone the. South Carolina Gamecocks should be a very interesting matchup, an interesting uh, schematic matchup. What does South Carolina try to do to Caitlin Clark to get the ball out of her hand? You know, I was watching the game on Monday with uh, Iowa in the regional final, and boy, were they, they had, they were, she was getting triple teams. She did a great job distributing the ball. She had, again, she had a triple double. She did have a lot of turnovers, but again, it will be interesting to see how she handles the athleticism of ten, of uh, South Carolina. South Carolina known for their defensive prowess, and obviously they have Alicia, Alicia, Alicia Boston in the post and Zaya Cook on the perimeter, so we'll see how that matchup goes. So uh, we, then we got LSU, Virginia Tech, Mulkey, the former Baylor coach, she's at LSU now, brought them back to the Final Four in year two against an upstart Virginia Tech program, have never been to the Final Four. They were a one seed this year, so kind of the upstart Tech program uh, leads to the Final Four. I saw a number that the that the Iowa regional final, the women's Iowa game on Monday night with Caitlin Clark had produced a rating that was greater than any NBA game on ESPN for the entire year. So that's a credit to Caitlin Clark, credit to ESPN for publicizing uh, the women's brackets a little bit. But again, that regional final had the biggest, had a bigger rating than any NBA game on ESPN. (coughs) Excuse me. Had all year. So uh, there's your women's basketball. The, the women's title game will be on Sunday night again in Dallas. So 
Uh, the state of Texas will be monopolizing the Final Fours this week. Uh, and again, we're going to get to TJ Reeves. Uh, TJ's the host of the Coast to Coast Pod, uh, Basketball Podcast, uh, College Basketball Podcast. He'll be in Houston, my buddy down here. He'll be in Houston. He's also a host of a BetUS TV uh, daily show concerning the college hoops and such, gambling with gambling angles and all that stuff in between. So TJ will be joining us talking Final Four. Uh, you're going to be talking Jim Nance's last Final Four at CBS, kind of where we think the media, uh, the, the, the TV coverage is going to be this weekend. And we're also going to talk a little uh, him getting recognized in public. So TJ's quite the star all over the country. So, uh, but yeah, TJ Reeves coming up first and second coming up. We're going to talk to Chris Perez, our baseball analyst. Chris is the uh, former two-time All-Star closer with Cleveland Indians and St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to talk opening day. Major League Baseball starts on Thursday. So if you listen to this on after Thursday, all teams are playing on Thursday, which is a great thing. If you're going to have an opening day, I think it is good to have all the teams playing. So you will see all the MLB teams playing. We're going to talk to Chris about the World Baseball Classic, some injuries, who he likes this year, some sleeper predictions, and just the uh, the player's perspective of making a roster, spring training, all the things that lead into opening day and all the opening day pageantry that goes into being a Major League Baseball player. So you'll you'll, you'll like some of the, uh, the stuff we talk about with Chris. So, uh, again, good uh, good spot for you. Before we get to TJ, i got to tell you a good little story. So in my bracket, my tournament, I'm in a couple pools, a little bit of investment, and I have already clinched the, champ, the, clinched the tournament bracket, the big one that I'm in, Probably going to net me a nice chunk of change because of UConn. UConn getting out of the West was the clincher for me. Nobody, nobody, not one person had FAU, San Diego State, or Miami reaching the Final Four. Not one. Incredible to think that, and I'm sure this is like brackets all over the country, how few of people had any of those teams in the Final Four. So I was fortunate. I picked UConn to get out of the West to beat Gonzaga. And that is going to clinch me the bracket no matter what happens this weekend. I don't care who wins Saturday or Monday. I can't lose. So that is a good feeling. So it's the first time in a while I've won a pool like this, especially where I will make a couple dollars. So that's a good thing too. So thank you, Danny Hurley and the Yukon Huskies, for all you did for me and padding my pocketbook a little bit. So uh, as far as my thoughts on the game, Again, we'll talk to TJ about the breakdown of the game, the teams and all four teams a little bit. Uh, I, I will give the advantage to Miami. I mean, sorry, to UConn over Miami. I think I think UConn is destined to win this thing. I think they're the best team by far. Again, give uh, Miami and Larinag all the credit for getting there. They beat the two and the one in that region. But I think UConn has the balance, the depth, the inside and outside presence. They got a shooter. They got inside players. They got an excellent ball handler. I think the interior uh, presence will be a little bit too much for Miami. O'Meara's kind of the only big guy they have. Uh, and Connecticut has two really good big men in Klingon and Sonogo. So I do like Connecticut. And I also like boy, this FAU-San Diego State game could go either way. Uh, I, I, I don't have a lean. Uh, it should be a really good game. The key number there we're going to talk about with TJ is 70. Uh, 70 points. So be on the, you'll hear the nugget concerning what 70 points means concerning that FAU San Diego State. Shout out to my UAB Blazers. They're playing in the uh, NIT final on Thursday night in Vegas. So shout out to, good luck to the Blazers. My alma mater, 
getting to the NIT, the NIT final. And what a year for Conference USA in postseason play. Uh, FAU, North Texas, UAB, and Charlotte all in the finals of the three tournaments, the NCAA, NIT, and CBI. So shout out to the big, or the Conference USA. Uh, there's a couple coaching hires this week. You had Mike Rodas get the Penn State job. Uh, he was the coach at Virginia, uh, VCU going up to Penn State. And USF just hired the Kennesaw State coach, Abdur Rahim, who's the brother of the former Georgia Tech star player. Um, so the Kennesaw State coach who led his team to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they had a tough finish in their turn in their game in the first round, but Kennesaw State's coach is in the new University of South Florida coach. There were some rumblings that Mike Bray might have t- might take that job, the former Notre Dame coach, but they're they've settled on Abdur Rahim, the former coach at Kennesaw State. So um, NFL wise, not much going on there. You got the draft coming up in in about a month. Still got the Lamar Jackson saga. No no end in sight there. The owners are meeting out in uh, I believe out in. Phoenix this week. Uh, we'll see what happens. Sounds like the sale of the of the Commanders is is pretty close to happening. Sounds like a couple of big groups made offers, so the price tag will be somewhere in the six billion dollar range. Six with a B. Uh, it, it's a shame that Daniel Snyder is going to get to profit all this money for as bad of an owner as he was with Washington as both the Redskins and Commanders. But he's going to sell, and they're going to get he, they're going to get him the hell out of there. But $6 billion looks like it's going to be the price tag, and that just means everybody else behind it, whoever sells, uh, it keeps going up. Uh, if you didn't see it, my, my Michael Jordan is selling his uh, majority interest in the Charlotte Hornets. So we'll see who ends up buying that. Uh, NBA is wrapping up. they got about 10 games, eight or nine games left for most teams as the playoffs are near. Same with the NHL. So we will get into the NBA playoff situations and a little NHL talk probably next week as we move. And remember, next week is the Masters as well. This is Nance's final uh, NCAA Final Four. But again, Masters week is always a cool week. I don't even care if you're not a golf fan. It's just just a cool week to keep up with the tournament. Um, all the different uh, things going on there. you got the live players mixing with the PGA guys next week. So you'll have some drama there and some... Uh, some narratives to talk about, so we'll try maybe try to have a golf guest on for us next week on the podcast. So enjoy TJ Reeves and Chris Perez as we t- break down Final Four, MLB, MLB opening day, and so much more. We'll be right back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Find us on Twitter at JPO Sports, and you can find all the video interviews on my YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel. So enjoy the podcast. I appreciate you finding us, Powers on Sports Podcast. And then there were four. Houston, Texas is the site this weekend. Final four NCAA March Madness. No better person. We're going to bring in Mr. TJ Reeves. No better person to talk to it. He will be in the building in NRG Stadium in Houston. Uh, TJ, part of uh, the Coast to Coast, College Basketball Coast to Coast Podcast, as well as BetUS TV as well as you know of his great work uh, as the Buccaneer sideline reporter. And uh, we were actually, I, I bet I forgot to tell you this. You were there with us. I forgot to, we're in green. We're in, uh, we're covering the big South tournament right. after the final yep. great game. And out of the blue, a kid comes up to you and goes, I know you. You're the Buck sideline guy. <laughs> well, the first thing is, 
I'm not expecting that in Charlotte after we've been working the college basketball game. But yes, the Buccaneer stuff is great, and it's great to be with you. And, and yeah, that's where all all worlds kind of converged at once with the Buccaneer talk, the college basketball talk. Uh, and I can't wait to mix it up with you because we're almost uh, to this weekend. So wherever you want to lead, let's do it. But yeah, that was a fun memory, you and I in and around. My God, that seems like it was like three months ago. Know, that was right? only three weekends ago. That was three weekends ago that we were at the Big South's championship game and then awaiting what was going to happen on selection sunday for unc asheville the team that won that tournament yep and and here we are now some what three full weeks later ready to go into final four weekend and we got an upstart florida atlantic a lesser known san diego state a first timer in miami with uconn as i keep joking with everybody including you off the air and now on powers on sports podcast this is the final four that everybody had right this is what we expected welcome That's right. to it just it, 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 your first when you when you really process that FAU Miami San Diego State making a Final Four. Just your your initial thought. Crazy. It is it is unexpected and it's great. It's all of those things because the bottom line is here that uh, it's a tournament and anything can happen once you get in that tournament and Florida Atlantic has been really good all regular season long, and now they've demonstrated. Just get us in there. I'm going to have to bring it up. They get in there against my Memphis Tigers in the opening game. They were seconds away from being eliminated, and nobody nationally knows Dusty May's name as the coach or John L. Davis, the star player's name, if Memphis beats them. But now they have, in the last two weekends, become household names for college basketball fans. They know who Dusty May is now, the coach. They know who John L. Davis is, an outstanding player, that's what this tournament is all about. And then Fort Atlantic follows it up beating Tennessee, beating Kansas State. They are legit. They are legit. San Diego State is legit. I've been talking to you for two weeks about them, having seen them in person in Orlando, not far from where you and I are sitting and recording this podcast and watching them portside with their length and their defense. They're bulk. And now they're, they, bulk. they're bulk. They've won four games in this tournament. And we've got San Diego State and Florida Atlantic battling, and one of them is guaranteed to play for the national title, which nobody had. <laughs> Outside of those schools' fan bases, nobody had that in the national title. Absolutely, absolutely. And and it, you can really see this is the parody of NIL and the transfer portal. I think it's a good thing for college basketball that we have different names involved. Obviously, from a TV perspective, uh, you can argue, do they like the big – you like one Cinderella. I just don't think they like three Cinderellas in the final four. You'd love to have one, maybe two, but when you have three brand names that people around the country don't recognize right off the bat, it makes it, you know, for the average viewer, if you're a basketball fan, you're going to watch, but for the casual fan, you wonder how much impact this will have on the, on the TV viewing audience with CBS on, on this weekend. Well, and you're right that there is not a Duke-Carolina matchup like what there was a year ago. And just the, the quick story in and around that from being there last year for college basketball coast-to-coast -coast and on the TuneIn channel and the podcast and covering it a year ago. I mean, it was Tobacco Road uh, in the French Quarter. And the Carolina fans wanted nothing more than to end Coach K's career with a bookend defeat. They already beat him at Cameron Indoor Stadium yeah. for the last Carolina-Duke matchup. So, of course, that was heightened even more. Besides the Blue Bloods, it was heightened by the backstory of this could be Coach K's right. final game. And his final game is either going to be the Saturday night semifinal or the national title game because he's already announced his retirement. So that just going back 52 weeks ago, that buildup and that weekend and the tens of thousands of Carolina and Duke fans 
of course you were going to have more interest. Of course you were going to have more television rating. But that doesn't mean that this is not going to be exciting. And I think I, I think we're going to get two good games. I could be wrong, but San Diego State doesn't seem to play large margin games. So you're going right. to probably get a good game with Florida Atlantic. And then the question becomes, is, is UConn going to pull away from Miami or is that going to be a good game? And I think the drama will build on Saturday night and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's not the same. There's not a Kentucky. There's not a Kansas. There's not a Michigan State, a Syracuse, a UCLA, the brand names that we know besides Duke, North Carolina. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be excitement and drama and 75,000 people in NRG Stadium and 15, 16, 17 million watching that second game Saturday night, which there will be on CBS. There will be. So I'm ready for it. I am ready for it. Uh, And let's see. But I concede it's not the same. I was there a year ago. It's not the same, but it doesn't mean that it's not good. There's my there's my mantra for you. And and just watching this tournament and just seeing the the, the landscape of college basketball, and you 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 cover it every day. You do a show on BetUS almost every day on the sport during the during the season. The difference between a three seed and a twelve seed is razor thin. When you when we're really yeah. looking at the seeding, there really isn't much difference between a three and a twelve if you really are honest about it. And as ridiculous as that sounds, metrically, you're right. Uh, because look, I mean, we can talk about this for another ten minutes, but we don't have to. But look at Look at Florida Atlantic as a nine seed. Do they look like a nine seed? Right. Have they looked like a nine seed? And by the way, maybe their resume should have been given more consideration and more more weight because they were a top 25 program throughout the season. They were the one of the last teams to even lose a game. They had beaten Florida at Florida earlier in the year in a head-to-head matchup at the beginning of the year had won a couple of other games out of the conference that gave you indication this team can play. Yep. So now they battle through Conference USA, and should Conference USA have gotten a second team right. just by looking at how they've played the rest of the postseason? I mean, as we release this podcast, UAB and North Texas are playing in the NIT, uh, the secondary tournament championship game. What league are they in? Conference USA with Florida Atlantic. How many times did they beat uh, Florida Atlantic, those two teams? Once. Out of five meetings, they only beat Florida Atlantic once. That was a really good league, but Florida Atlantic was really good in that league, as it turns out. And now you see proof of that. So, again, um, you know, you go back and and look at this and say, what's the difference between – uh, a, a UConn team that right now, I mean, and they were a four guy, seed. Look, UConn was a four like seed. A, do, do they look like a four seed with the way that they have played in their first four games with, uh, especially how they hammered Gonzaga in that championship, uh, that regional final, that West regional championship game. So yeah, they were a four and this is easy to do after the fact to go back and say, well, they got it seeded wrong. But your point is, the margin, the quality of play, the quality of players, the disparity, it's not that big anymore between the teams that have a small number one, two, or three in front of their name and the teams that have double digits 10, 11, and 12 in front of their name. Um, and even Princeton, who was a 15, right. who beats a two and beats a seven to get to the Sweet 16. They beat a two in Arizona, they beat a seven in Missouri, and they looked like the better team in both of those games. Right. And they had a 15 in front of their name. To your point uh, about the, the, everybody's got players. And everybody in this tournament has a puncher's chance. And, and we now have seen that. I mean, Miami comes out of a situation. I know you didn't ask me this specifically, but this is back to your point. They got to go through the one seed Houston. And then as it turns out, the two seed in Texas yeah. just to get to the final four. 
So uh, give them a lot of credit. That's a tougher road than any of the other three members that are in here had last weekend to beat the one and the two. Uh, the closest thing was San Diego State beating the one Alabama yep. and then beating the six Creighton. Miami beat the one and the two. Yeah. Full credit to Jim Laranega and his team, Jason. All right, for a guy that's been in the broadcasting profession his whole adult life, Jim Nance's final weekend calling the Final Four. You know, just wow. I know you're a, you're a connoisseur of broadcasting and other guys that do great jobs. Talk about Jim Nance's impact on college basketball. You know, he's not retiring from broadcasting, but the last Final Four, last college basketball. Have you met Jim Nance? You got a good ba- any any good Jim Nance story? So the answer to that is yes. I've met him on several occasions, uh, obviously in and around this event or Buccaneer games with CBS, et cetera, and being with him, obviously most prevalent. Uh, I I was around him when we all had masks on at Super Bowl 55 um, for the Buccaneers and the Chiefs at Raymond James Stadium uh, during the pandemic craziness of 2020. So yes, is the answer. I've been around him. And as much as the NFL and the Masters is a big deal. Jim Nance is a college basketball guy going back to Houston, the University of Houston, where he went, and by Slamma Jamma when he was there with Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler. I know we're going back a ways for the younger audience. Google it, kids. Fi- Google it. Google them. Look them up on YouTube. By Slamma Jamma was something else, and that's where Jim Nance uh, really cut his teeth and became ingrained as a sports broadcaster, as a college basketball guy coming out of Houston. And, and to think he's done 33 Final Fours in a row. And he's at the stage right now where he's working year-round doing college basketball, the NFL, golf in the middle, the Masters, the PGA Championship, PGA Tour on CBS. How many more years do you want to do that when you get to your mid-60s, your late-60s? And Jim Nance is almost 70 years old right. doing this stuff. How many more years do you want to do it? So he's going to cut back from doing the basketball uh, it's it's remarkable uh, the, the run that he's had in the games. And remember, the last time this thing was in Houston, Jim Nance on the call for Villanova, last second three. The guy's name is Chris Jenkins. They'll show that highlight over and over again for Villanova beating North Carolina. That's Jim Nance on the call seven years ago, 2016. I don't know that we're going to get something equally as dramatic as that, but he's he's been around for a lot of these big moments. Um and uh, yeah, it will be needed. It'll be need to be around him one more time, as a lot of the different media people will be. And again, he started it all in Houston, and the Final Four is in Houston. So for his college basketball component, that's interesting symmetry on that. It'll be interesting to see what CBS does, what kind of tribute they do, and how they sure. intertwine that into the games on Saturday and Monday night. I'm sure they have a great montage put together. Sure, and they've already made mention, they've already talked about and confirmed that Ian Eagle will take his yes. place, and will it continue with Ian Eagle, Bill Raftery, and Grant Hill, or will they vary that up? That team has been together really for about the last seven, eight years, eight, nine years, something like that uh, with that team. And, of course, Nance did it for so many years with Billy Packer. This concludes the run. We keep talking about it. Yes, It's remarkable. Billy Packer's first Final Four, the late Billy Packer, was 1975. We are all the way to 20. 23 jason powers so if we do the math that is 48 years 48 years folks that either billy packer billy packer with jim nance or jim nance has been broadcasting the final four 48 years in a row crazy that is it's mind-boggling and that's what's coming to an end when nance uh, says goodbye on Monday night after the championship game. And again, he'll still be around for the Masters the next week, the NFL in the fall. Yep. How much longer all that continues two years from now, three years from now, we'll see. But this is it on college basketball.
All right, let's get into the matchups itself. The two matchups. Let's start with the undercard. Obviously, FAU San Diego State. You know the two upstarts. You know contrasting styles. Don't, don't tell. I'm, I'm going to joke with you. Don't tell San Diego State they're the undercard. They're going to tell you we're the Mountain West champs <laughs> in the regular season. We won the conference tournament. And by the way, uh, uh, UConn and Miami on the other side of the bracket. They didn't yeah. win their conference. They didn't win their conference tournament. Now Florida Atlantic can say that. Yes, we did. We won the regular season. We won the tournament. So don't tell San Diego State they're the undercard, but I know what you mean. But they are playing the first game at 609, which is usually the undercard. That's correct. That's correct. (laughs) All right. Talk about the matchup again. A stat that I've talked about for the last couple weeks with San Diego State. 70 points is the number. When San Diego State holds their opponents under 70, I think they're 24, 25, and 2. 25 and 2. I mean, so that's the magic number. We know FAU likes to get up and down. Here's one other thing about that stat. That means in roughly 80% of their games, they've gotten the game below 70 and or in the low 60s, mid to low 60s. And they did that to Alabama, and they did that to Creighton yep. in these two games where they kept them away. That's that's a bigger – I mean, it would be one thing if that stat was 13-2 and two or 15-2. Right. and two. But in other words, 27 times they've been able to keep the tempo and keep the scoring to their pace which leads you to believe that's what's going to happen Saturday. And the real question is, can Florida Atlantic beat them at that game? And I believe they can because I think they're diversified enough with their guard play. They've got a couple of bigs, including the Russian golden, the golden kid. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, this is amazing what Florida Atlantic has put together with a couple of transfers out of the transfer portal and a seven footer that's athletic from Russia in, in Vlad golden, who didn't play. I mean, he played pretty well in the two games with Tennessee and Kansas state. But as you mentioned, the big bodies and the bulk of San Diego state are going to bang him around. They got a lot of fouls to give is John L Davis. The X factor. He made every big play at the end of the Kansas state game. Is he going to show up big again? And is his legend is his uh, maybe NBA uh, stock going to go up a little bit on Saturday with whatever he does at the end of this game coming Saturday, or will San Diego State sleeper hold their defense, their physical play? Will it grind FAU down? And it's the Aztecs in the title game. I'm just curious on the yep. style matchups. If you're pinning me down early on in the I am. sports podcast, I, I think am. it's the Aztecs. I think it's San Diego State Monday night. And it's remember, they've got story ne- for Florida Atlantic, but I think it's San Diego State. They've basically got nothing out of one of their best players, Matt Bradley, for San Diego State, too, in the regional. They got nothing out of them either game, basically. And still beat Alabama the yes. one seed, and then went on to win uh, the regional final. So that's right, game number go. one. Yep. Listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. TJ Reeves, college basketball, coast to coast. Couple more minutes left with TJ. UConn, Miami. What a job by Larry Nag. I mean, when you really look at the history of this sport, to take George Mason and Miami, two basketball nomads of epic yeah. proportions, to the Final Four is incredible. Uh, and how about 17 years ago, George Mason defeats UConn, which was the presumptive number one team in the country, number one team in the tournament, and George Mason took them down in the regional final in Washington, D.C. We fast forward now 17 years, and Miami makes the NCAA tournament for the first time as a basketball player. Not Miami football, Miami basketball, as we keep joking about. They beat the one seed, Houston. They, in the regional final, beat Texas, the two seed. Down 13, down 13, down 13. The reward, go play UConn again. (laughs) And so Larry Nagus got to be having flashbacks uh, to that. But you're right. They were behind by 13. And I say again to you, it says a lot for them 
that they didn't make a three-point shot in the second half of the Texas game. Yeah. Miami didn't make a three-pointer. In the modern college basketball, show me a neutral floor, huge win, a road win, a big NCAA tournament win where somebody goes a whole second half without making a three and erases a double-digit deficit. That's a credit to them. They did a great job with the mid-range scoring, uh, with free-throw shooting. Tremendous job by them. Does you What this game comes down to, does UConn's shooting continue? Because they really since the second half of the Iona game, yes. game one. Yes. Basketball since halftime of the Iona game, they've shot it fantastic. They have been tremendous. So will it continue in this football stadium on Saturday? If it does, they're very tough to beat. Very tough. Not impossible to beat, but very tough to beat. Because the inside presence of Sunogo and Klingon, and you got Hawkins, and then Andre Jackson's kind of the wild card. Not a great shooter, but just a facilitator, a energizer bunny on the on the offensive end leading that Kentucky offense. Um, last question, I'll get you out of here. What um where will you be? Where will you will you be? What's the media setup in Houston? All right. So interestingly, uh, they've gone to this setup really for about the last 10, 12 years of going into football stadiums. Because they have the court elevated, everybody in all levels can see a lot better with it elevated in the big video boards. So they seat the media, the overflow media. The big, the big time writers will be across the way uh, from the bench uh, behind CBS. You will see them behind the bench. Uh, basically, or behind CBS. And there's another row really behind the bench as well. They've also got team broadcasters from the Final Four team, National Radio with Westwood One, uh, the international broadcast. That's all That's all kind of in those couple of rows. The rest of the media is overflow, like behind the basket, almost the end zones of the football configuration. And I'm talking about several hundred of us are sitting in those overflows. So all the local media from Florida Atlantic, in Boca Raton, all the local media from Miami, the local media from UConn, the local media from San Diego State, plus the local media in Houston, plus right. anybody else that covers this thing nationally that's not prominent writer, team broadcasters, you're in the overflow in the end zones. So that's where we'll be as part of this. And it's not a bad vantage point at all. And you got the video boards where you can yeah. see all the replays, and it is some atmosphere, and it's going to be some scene. Again, I say to you, I don't know that we can replicate, and I was in the building, and the building shook almost like an earthquake when Chris Jenkins made that shot for Villanova. I am imagining that while I'm saying it to you right now on Powers on Sports. The building was shaking. I'm not exaggerating. Charles Barkley was jumping up and down on the Turner set yeah. right in front of where our overflow seats were, and maybe the building was partially shaking because big round mount of rebound was jumping <laughs> up and down, but it was crazy at the end of that. I don't know that we get that kind of finish Saturday or Monday, but it's going to be some atmosphere. It's neat to be part of this. I think ultimately it's UConn winning the second semifinal and UConn against San Diego State. I don't know. Get me to Monday and check back with me on how San Diego State looks. Because if they hold Florida Atlantic under 70 points and beat them, I give them a great chance to win the national title game against either UConn or Miami and hold them down. They've been that good and that good of a story. So, And remember, remember folks, see. the Chris Jenkins play was the exact same play Gonzaga ran to beat UCLA a week ago with yes. Strother, basically. Yes. It's the same. It's the same concept of come across uh, midcourt and get the ball to a trailer behind you for an open look three where the defense can't get out on him that quick. And are we in store for something like that? I don't know. We'll see. 
Uh, it's going to be a blast to be there in and around all of it. And I promise to report back to you on how it goes. So I know you're going to be doing some, I know you got to go. Season. I know you got to go. I know you're doing some live content from Houston. Tell the audience what you're doing. So you'll be able to find on, uh, again, a search for it on podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast, the live tune-in channel as well, College Basketball Coast to Coast, tune-in premium. Go into the uh, College Basketball section, go into the sports area. You'll see College Basketball Coast to Coast sitting there. Live streaming shows Saturday, recap shows Saturday night, streaming show on that channel Sunday, podcast form as well, wherever you get podcasts, College Basketball Coast to Coast. You'll hear a Sunday show. You'll hear a Monday preview. You'll get a Monday night recap. We are there for the duration, brother, for the entire weekend. Whatever happens, San Diego State, FAU, Miami, UConn, looking forward to all of it, my friend. I wish I could be there holding your sound cord, man. I'd, I'd come just to hold your cord. <laughs> Carry the luggage through the Charlotte airport. <laughs> oh, we'll just see what happens uh, coming up in this. And it is it is some event. It should be it should be a lot of fun to watch. I love having, you, uh, having uh, me on here. I love being with you. Uh, thank you for the help throughout March with me. And we're going to come around to the NFL draft and some other stuff. Yep. So anytime you need me, Jason Powers, you know where to find me. Enjoy Houston, TJ. Thank you, my friend. We'll be right back with Chris Perez, Cleveland Indians all-star closer, former closer, talking a little MLB opening day. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to be a first-time home buyer looking to upsize or even downsize your current property situation? Reach out to Jason Powers at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404, anywhere in the state of Florida. Let's get you pre-approved, figure out how much money, how much house you can afford, whether it's an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo loan, even bank statement loans if you're self-employed, we can help you. You need to buy, you want to build a home. We got a new construction loan available for you. Are you looking to renovate your home? There are renovation loans available and we are experts in the renovation loan it part of the uh, home financing business. Reach out to me, Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. From Miami to Orlando to Jacksonville in Pensacola and anywhere in between, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending where it, my loan gets you into your home. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions. My guy, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs. Corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist again print and marketing specialist todd tedesco 813-498-2887 i welcome in powers on sports podcast we're back with you you hopefully enjoyed our final four preview and uh welcome back it's major league baseball season kicking off on thursday all around the country the uh 
World Baseball Classic is just wrapped up. Jet Japan, obviously, if you don't, if you didn't keep up, Japan beat the United States in the final three two, and we are going to talk to uh, Chris Perez, our baseball analyst, about all things World Baseball Classic, spring training, the uh, joys of making a roster, and all the good stuff that goes into uh, heading from spring training back up north to the uh, location of wherever their team is heading. So, welcome in, Chris. Hey, right, thanks for having me again. It's been a while. How's your uh, how's your final four bracket, man? Blowed up like everybody else. My team, Miami's made it, but uh, I didn't really fill one out this year. Uh, I I stopped years ago. Those things are crazy, and this year has been nuts. The games have been amazing, though. Will there be what fifty eight people come from Miami to go to the final four, or they actually get some people to go? I don't know. It's in a bad <laughs> it's, in a, it's in a bad Miami city. Uh, you know, if it was in New York or uh, we have a lot of alumni in the North Carolina area too, but. Uh, you never know that kind of I, I've seen the ticket prices I've like just cratered because uh, yeah. you know everybody was expecting Texas to go but um, you know FAU and Miami they're only like an hour and a half apart not even so it's pretty crazy having two of the you know four teams being that close together in the region no um, I don't think they, I don't even think they played each other honestly but uh, yeah it's been it's been some some good basketball. Yeah, good for the state of Florida. It's crazy this year. The the, the big teams in Florida, you know, Florida State, Florida, were terrible, and and, I mean, and then you got obviously Miami and the FAU from the southern part of the state that are taking care of business. So, congrats to those guys. They will have a great time at the final. You ever been to a final four? I have not, and I've actually asked every single person that I can think of if they want to go because you know it's the first time Miami's been there, and and it's opening day for baseball. This is why we're having this you know video thing today, and the Astros are home against the White Sox. You know the defending champions, the Astros. It'd be a great weekend, but I can't find anybody that that can go. <laughs> All right, let's let's start off before we get to the MLB stuff. Let's go to the World Baseball Classic. I know you kept up pretty pretty. Pretty strong. Did I see somewhere on social media? Did you go to the, one of the games in Miami? I did not. Uh, a lot of my friends did. Uh, I have a, uh, an old teammate that's a coach for the Marlins, and uh, he was able to go. And I actually had another old teammate play for Team Israel. So I was just uh, re- retweeting some of their stuff. I didn't get to I got go you. to Okay. I thought I saw a picture of you maybe with a ticket or something, but maybe I, maybe uh-huh. I saw something wrong. All right. Talk about the talk about the World Baseball Classic. First off, in general terms of the of the Classic, if you were in a situation where they asked you to play, would you have been a, a guy that would have played? I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk around, especially with the pitchers that they didn't want to pitch in the pitch in the event and all that stuff. If you were asked, would you have been somebody who would have said, hell yeah, I'll sign me up? Yeah. In 20, uh, 2013, I was actually supposed to play for team USA. And uh, you know, I, I reported to spring training and everything. And then unfortunately in one of my early outings, uh, my shoulders started feeling different. So we, we nixed that, but, uh, I actually had the jerseys made and everything. So I actually have <laughs> world based <laughs> classic jerseys that I never used, but I definitely absolutely volunteered. Uh, I imagine they kind of did it the same way, uh, back in 2012, they kind of took a questionnaire of all the players, like who would be interested in stuff. And then they kind of narrowed their pool down and, uh, yeah, I was selected to play. Uh, I remember being on some conference calls, uh, before spring training, um about you know what what kind of routine it was going to be and stuff and I was excited um you know everybody's in different spots in their careers obviously uh I think a lot of our guys that that backed out are either really really at the end of their careers like Verlander and Scherzer or they're getting really close to a big payday and they don't want to risk the injuries like McClanahan uh so um you know it's it's just one of those things it's kind of unfortunately there's no good time to do it you know you're not going to pause the the regular season to have a two week tournament, uh, you know, hockey, uh, they do that for the Olympics and stuff, because that's, uh, you know, in those sports, those are the major events. 
uh, baseball is unique. Like I said, there's really no good time to do it. You're not going to do it at the end of the year when guys are tired and, and played all year. Um, and that kind of that uh, unfortunately, because of when it is, it kind of sets the U.S. back. Uh, you know, Japan. I think they had like a. I don't know if Shohei and all the stars played, but I think their core team had kind of like a you know an exhibition season kind of. And uh, obviously the Latin teams, they always play winter ball, so they're more into the mid midseason form. And I think you saw the the kind of the restraints that Team USA has, especially on the pitching side. But that all said, I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they played great. And, and, you know, you lose to a, a team like Japan uh, with, by one run is not, a, you know, nothing not to be ashamed about. Do you think the American guys, especially the pitchers down the road, will regret not the opportunity to play for their country? Because the Olympic baseball is not nearly the same as Olympic other sports. Um, you know, right. obviously you see all the, the, the nationalism and patriotism by the all the Dominican countries and all the Asian countries. Do you think that'll be something that the, 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 the American guys will regret down the road? Uh, maybe for the younger ones like McClanahan, uh, you know, I think Verlander might've played for team USA in college. Uh, I definitely right. know Scherzer did cause I was on his team. <laughs> um, when we were in college, we played on team USA, the national team. Uh, you know, it's, again, it's, it, unfortunately us, you know, we do have that pride, but, uh, you know, especially for places like the Dominican, like that's their ticket out, right? Like that's their, their whole goal in life is to become a ball player to get, to get out. And, and like Mexico, like, you know, they compete against the U S and when they beat us, it's a big, it's a big story. So unfortunately, you know, like I said, we do have that American pride, but I think it's, it's, it's just tampered down a little bit. I don't, I that don't American know. American green, that green, right. that American green. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and guys like Verlander and Scherzer and guys that have a lot of innings. I know Wainwright was out there, but he wasn't, he hasn't been on team USA before. And this is kind of like, he's like, you know, I'm 40 something years old and there's, you know, I, I can get hurt just throwing a bullpen. So I might as well go play for USA. Um, I know, guess my I, question would be Chris for you. If you're pitching wise, if you're going to pitch two or three innings in the grapefruit league on a Tuesday, why not pitch two or three innings against the Venezuela? Yeah, no, no, that's how I would, that's definitely how I would uh, approach it. And also, I mean, it's a, it breaks up the spring training monotony. Like, you know, it's get your it, juices it's, flowing a little bit. Competitiveness. Exactly. And, um, you know, but again, like, you know, you never know what guys are dealing with in the off season. Uh, it's a long season. Last year was the first like regular, you know, 162, 200, you know, guys weren't on limitations because of COVID or anything. So like, you know, it's, it's the off season is the off season for a reason. You're getting ready for that long six, seven month stretch. Yeah. And guys sometimes deal with stuff, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you don't want to be in those juices flowing kind of situations early in the season and, and having, you know, getting out of bad mechanics. And then, uh, you know, the rest of your season, you're kind of battling uphill. Um, you know, actually, I was thinking about that when I was watching Brady Singer in his first outing, um, you know, big situation, like, you know, something you're not used to doing in, in February, March. Um, and, you know, you could tell that his body, his, his, his mind was going a little faster than his body was. And that's just, that's expected in, in this type of, of year, this, this time of year. So hopefully he can go back to his team, get back on this, you know, regular routine and, and mechanics and, and have a good season. But, um, yeah, everybody's different. You know, uh, I, I feel like all our hitters, uh, most of the hitters, you know, I, I kind of, uh, <laughs> that lineup, I would have liked to have seen judge in there just to see all the, all the <laughs> right. monsters there. Uh, but but this time through, our hitters came through. You know, we had, there's been years past where a lot of hitters backed out or didn't play or or were dealing with stuff themselves. So it was yeah. good to see a good representation. And and, and actually, you know, I, I'm proud to be an American. You can look around that diamond and, and you can see all the different cultures that we have just in America. So 
um, you know, they did a good job. What would you think of the Shohei and Trout at bat at the end to end it? That was for, for baseball. If you could ever dial it up. That's exactly the matchup you wanted to dial it up to end the end the World Baseball Classic. Oh, I know. Uh, you know, obviously they play on the same team during the season, so that's not going to happen. But uh, I think you, they couldn't have written a better script. I mean, right. one run game. The only thing better maybe if there was like the winning run on base or something. Right. You know, it was right. bases empty, but still, I mean. It's the, and they were, you know, Shohei looked like he was in midseason form throwing 102 with that slider. And um, it was, it was great baseball, uh, good at bat. You know, it, it's what, it's what, it's what you wanted to see when this, I, I, when these people, whoever made it, the decisions to put the world baseball classic together, I, I'm sure they envisioned a situation one day where you have the best players facing each other with, you know, with stuff on the line. And uh, it, it's kind of like if you could see Babe Ruth face Cy Young or something like that, you know, it was uh I, I don't think he'll ever see a matchup like that again until Shohei gets traded or something. But, um, you know, it was, it was good. It was a good matchup. I think it was great for baseball. Um, unfortunate part is that's, that might be the biggest at bat slash, uh, you know, pitching inning that Shohei and Trout have this year, you know, right. like they may have already right. played their most important game, which right. is kind of sad. Cause I mean, baseball needs those stars in the playoffs and um, you know, hopefully the angels can, can put something together, but, it's kind of a waste of talent when you have two of the best in the world ever. And, you, you know, you already got them in your lineup. You got them, you know, penciled in as your ace. And, and you know, usually they're out of it by the all-star. Hitter. Yeah. You're number three yeah. and number four hitter. And you're and they're out of it by the all-star break every year. It's, it's just like, it's crazy. All right, let's talk about countdown to opening day. Obviously, talk talk to the audience about, as a player, the last seven or eight days until opening day. Just the, the are you excited? Are you just like, let's get to it? Or what's the what's the mindset of, of a guy that's an established player on a roster that's going through this last five or six days until till opening day? Yeah, uh, you're excited. You're counting down the days for sure. Uh, you know, you're you're starting to lock in more uh, like a regular season game during spring training, trying to get your at-bats and, and, and also not trying to get hurt. I mean, uh, the last thing you want to do is – is do something stupid or take a bad swing and, and, you know, hurt yourself and be miss opening day. Like uh, it is one of the best days of the season. Um, you know, it's just, everybody starts anew. everybody's zero and zero. Nobody's in last place. Nobody's made an area. Um, and, and you always have those hope, great feelings. hope, hope, that's it, right. Hope springs eternal. And uh, um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's a fun time of year. You know, you, you're, you're, you walk into the locker room and you're packing up your stuff, uh, you know, sending stuff on the, on the, on the truck to go up North and, you know, sending this with you and getting family stuff ready. It's, it's a, it's a busy time of the year, but it's, it's, it's exciting. Uh, everybody wants to get back to their city and, and, you know, get the season started. Talk about the excitement of these young guys, the guys we saw yesterday, the Volpe kid for the Yankees got told he was making the roster and going to be starting. Talk about the excitement of when the manager or the GM, however it happens, you t- tell us how it happens, how they told you, hey, Chris, you're making it. You're, you're going yeah. up with the big club. Um, unfortunately, my only meetings with the managers was to get sent down. <laughs> uh, um, you know, 2008, um, I knew I wasn't going to make the team out of spring training, so that was pretty easy. Uh, but 2009, I, I had gotten called up halfway through 08 and thought I should make the team out of 09. Okay. out of spring training and uh you know i didn't so it was uh it's hard to take that kind of news um you know you work your whole career to try to make a team and and you know um sometimes the business side gets out of it there was a guy that was out of options and they wanted to see how he started the season and right um i had options because i was young so it's a lot easier for me to go down to triple a and for them to keep the veteran around um but yeah i mean uh for the young guys that it's a culmination of everything you worked for uh you know 
you want to call 10, you want to call 10 different people at once. You want to call your parents, your coaches, your agent, your, your spouse or your wife or your girlfriend. Like it's the most exciting day. Like you made it, you know, the spring training. Yeah. You're on, you know, it's big league spring training. It's not the same. It's not the regular season. It's not in your city. Um, so it's, it's the culmination of everything you've worked for. Um, and then, you know, now, now it starts, right. Now you got to stay. <laughs> um, they always say it's easy to get there. It's harder to stay. So um, I, I, especially for somebody like Volpe, who I, I've seen pictures the last couple of days of him when he was like six or seven, taking pictures with Jeter. Uh, <laughs> he grew up in, you know, in New York, uh, a Yankee fan. And, and it's, it's gotta be even that more, that, that much more special for him. Uh, me, I was just happy to be on a team. And I think I saw six opening days and yeah, like I said, there's nothing better if you're a major league ball player, you know, the grass is always the greenest on opening day and, Nobody. It's it's uh, talk about the pageantry of just them announcing the whole roster and introducing yeah. everybody and all that stuff that goes into opening day. It's 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 the best. You know the the stadiums are always sold out. All the fans are are excited and hopeful. And uh, you know, like I said, their team hasn't lost the game yet. And um, it's fun. It's it's uh, it's kind of a national holiday. They do a good job of of, of uh, you know uh, bringing in like flyovers and stuff like that. And uh, it's it's a good time. If you have never been to an opening day as a fan, you definitely should go. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Talk about the, the transition of weather because you've been down here and it's 85 degrees, 80 degrees for the last six, seven weeks. And all of a sudden you fly back to Cleveland or St. Louis and it's 42 and drizzly. Talk about yeah. just from a re, re, readjusting to that, especially as a pitcher. You know, you've been sitting, you know, where you're, you're going to be sitting for two or three hours before you come in the game. Just talk about that transition of getting used to that again. I don't think you can get used to it. I mean, <laughs> Like you said, they send us to a, like pretty much a resort for six, seven, eight weeks. Every day's you know, 80, 80 with like, you know, sunshine. And then, uh, well, in Arizona here, it's a little hotter. But uh, yeah, I mean, and then they send you, for me, the AL Central, man, there's no, you can't hide anywhere. Everywhere is bad weather in April. And, and uh, you know, you're outside, there's no, there's no domes. So um, you got to do the best you can. Luckily in the big leagues, it's a lot easier than the minors because, I mean, you're, you know, the stadiums are a little bigger, so you're kind of more insulated in the bullpen. But um, I think it's a bigger adjustment for the hitters. Uh, pitchers, especially starting pitchers, you know, once you're warmed up and you have a, a good lather going, like, it's easy to stay warm. Um, the hitters, you know, they're out in the field, the, the, especially when it's windy. They're, you know, they're out in the field from standing around for an inning, and then they come inside the dugout. Like, it's harder for them to, to keep warm. So I think the advantage early, especially if the weather's bad, is for the pitchers um especially me I wasn't a finesse guy I was more come, here it is come and get it so I, you know on the cold days I would just pretty much challenge the hitters don't worry about the spots just get ahead of them and, and they don't want to hit it as much as you know it, it, they don't want to get jammed they don't want the to feel those bees in their hands so um it's a challenge though I mean the, the worst is, is is precipitation and wind like uh I remember in Chicago early in the year, it's just like, it feels like it's sleeting out there and it's like misty and it's, you know, thick air and it's just cold and it's hard. It's, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but um, the more you go through it, the more you realize that it's not about, you know, not about actually making pitches. It's just getting ahead and, and attacking the hitters and, and making them beat you. All right, let's talk about um, rule changes. Obviously, you and I talked a month or so back about the different rule changes getting implemented. Do you think you think everybody will be in the flow now? They've been doing it for five or six weeks. You think everybody's in the flow? and, and the, Or do you think that we're going to have that first moment, whether it's the first week of the year, where an umpire 
rings a guy up for not being in the box or issues a ball or whatever the situation is that really is going to stir up some controversy. Yeah, I thought they'd be close to midseason form already, but then the other day I just saw somebody threw over for the third time and got a balk called, and yeah. uh, I've seen a, you know a couple of guys get punched out still. Um, I think I hope they're ready. I mean, they've had enough time, right? It's not that they they've realized they're not going to budge on anything. Um, and especially there's in the more, ninth, especially late in the game, where a guy yeah. like you is going to be in the game, taking care yeah. of the, you know having to deal with all that. I, I, I thought there wouldn't be any issues, but I think there is. I think guys are still like, I've seen a couple of uh, highlights where a guy just forgets and, and he steps, and, you know, takes a little walk around the, the batter's box and he's not <laughs> facing the pitcher when, and the pitcher's not even ready yet, but he's still not ready to hit. So he gets a strike called. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to happen. Unfortunately, there's going to be a, you know, a big count that goes, you know, a full count that the guy gets punched out in the ninth or something. I don't know, but it's it, there's no reason for, there's no excuses right they know the rules they know they're calling it they're not you know they're they know they're not being lenient with it like as soon as that time hits if you're not there they're calling it so um and i've seen it called more on the hitters than i have the pitchers right i i always said it's the hitters fault it's not the pitchers the pitchers are ready <laughs> you know that we we want to you know get the ball and throw it um so i i actually haven't seen any balls called i've seen only strikes Interesting, interesting. All right, so you're listening to Powers on Sports Podcast. We're talking to Chris Perez, uh, former MLB closer, two-time All-Star. Uh, what, seven-year, eight-year? How, how many-year career? Uh, seven, yeah. Seven, yeah. Seven in the major leagues. Six opening days, as we're talking about, so we're just previewing opening day and all that kind of good stuff. Let's talk about some injuries. There's a lot of injury issues going on around the league. Big guys. Edwin Diaz got hurt, the closer for the Mets in the in the World Baseball Classic. Freak injury wasn't even a pitching deal. It was a celebration right. deal, which was which was crazy. Reese right. Hoskins for the Phillies blew his ACL out last week. You got Bryce Harper on the men. Altuve got hit in the World Baseball Classic. Just talk about how these injuries, how important it is to get off to a good start. And when you're missing guys, especially your big guys in your lineup or your pitching staff, how that really hurts you start of the season. It's all about depth. I mean, you know, unfortunately, uh, baseball, there's going to be injuries all year. Guys, you know, I don't think they're ever 100%. But, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate to see uh, some freak injuries, too. Like, Gavin Lux got hurt running the bases. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, usually it's pitchers, you know, like, oh, somebody blows out their elbow or, that, you know, that's the most common injuries. But uh, it's been a rash of them. I don't know why. It's just freaky, I guess. And as a team, yeah, it's it's never good to – to start losing starters uh, before the r- real games even start. Um, you know, you have your, your depth chart penciled in, every, you know, when spring training starts and you got, you have your just in case guys in the minors and, you know, this guy will get called up just in case this guy gets hurt. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to start doing that in, in spring training. Um, you know, you're going to have to just, you know, when I was with the Cardinals, I think it was 2009, the spring training, we had three or four starters hurt. Like Chris Carpenter was hurt. We had like some Mark Mulder was coming back from injury. Like we had some big guys that weren't going to be with us for a while. And I remember having a team meeting, like they sat us, sat us down as a team and said, listen, we just need to stay close. You know, we don't need to win every game, but we need to win the games we should win and we shouldn't give games away. And we need to stay close to the all-star break. And then these guys are going to come back and that should give us our push. So teams do have those kind of meetings. And, uh, you know, with the Phillies, with Hoskins going down and Harper not being there yet, um, you know, there's a tendency to maybe for the other guys to start to press a little bit and try to do too much. And, uh, you know, maybe they sit them down and say, listen, we, we have a good pitching staff. Let's, let's play some good defense pitch and, and wait till these guys get back and stay in this thing. 
um, teams do that. You know, you have to, you have to have goals. You have to have, know how your team's going. I was going to say, um, what's the, what's the, what's the, for as a player, you know, probably two or three weeks into spring, Hey, we got a pretty good team here. Or, hey, we might struggle here. What is your, how do you, how does, how does the management of the manager, how important is that for you as a player, for the manager to tell you, Hey, this is where we're at. This is where I think we really can go and be honest with you guys. It's real important, uh, you know, especially uh, when you have a veteran team, it's not as important when you have a younger team. Uh, like I said, guys might start pressing now, you know, whoever's going to step in for Gavin Lux might feel like he has to do what Gavin Lux does when we're, in reality, all you have to do is, you know, play good defense and whatever you do offensively will help us. Um, it's it's really important to, to make sure guys know the expectations because um, especially when you're first getting, you know, your feet wet in the big leagues, like, your expectation, you might've been the man in double A AA and triple A, right. you might've been the, the number three hitter, you know, everybody pitches you differently. And now you're hitting eighth or ninth and you're asked to sack bunt. You're asked to move runners around. Like, you know, your game, your game's going to be different. So it's good. It, the more communication, the better. That's how I feel. Um, you know, like I said, the veterans, they kind of, it, it's just like another day, right? Like, all right. So we got, we have a couple injuries. I'm going to still do my job. You know, it's not going to affect the bullpen because Reese Hoskins is a hurt, you know, it's right. not going to affect the starting pitching because Reese Hoskins is hurt. So just do your jobs. And like I said, maybe a little more, uh, you know, focus on the small things, like instead of, uh, you know, clubbing people to death, maybe we should move runners along. Maybe we should sack button a little more. Um, I don't know if any one game, it, it makes a difference, but over the course of two or three months, yeah, it's, you always want your guys, you know, <laughs> they're starters for a reason. That's right. That's, talk about, do you think the new rules are going to open up the game a little, a little bit more hit and run, stealing, sacrifice, bunting, things like that, as opposed to trying to hit the three-run homer all day long? I do. I do. And I think you've seen that in spring training with the numbers. There's been more singles hit. Uh, there's been more, um, uh, you know, the game's going quicker, obviously. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, first to thirds, uh, um, you know, starting the runner a lot more because, you know, th it creates holes, right? That's baseball has been around for, you know, decades, a hundred years. Uh, it's only been the last three or four or five where the shifts have been in place. So I think you're gonna see a lot more hit and runs, especially in the bottom of the order, just to get things going. Yeah. Um, they say there's gonna be a lot more steals. I don't know. Guys seem to get hurt, you know, like <laughs> guys, guys, you know, I know they all wear those oven mitts on their hands now for, you know, not breaking their fingers and stuff, but, uh, you know, you steal 50, 60 bags a year and going down on those slides 50, 60 times a year, that's 50, 60 chances of uh, jamming your wrist or, you know, yeah, I don't know if that, whatever. Right. I don't know if uh, the Dodgers want Mookie Betts to do that. You know, I don't know if uh, teams want Ronald Acuna to do that. Um, there's going to be some guys for sure, uh, you know, but uh, stealing wise, I don't know if the bigger bases are an incentive. Uh, I think it helps to stay on the base when you slide, obviously, uh, you know, uh, how many times have we seen in the last couple of seasons where a guy slides and he's safe and then his momentum takes him off and they keep right. the tag on and now he's out. Well, you know, the bigger bases, theoretically, you have more surface area to stay on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like seeing, you know, I like seeing a guy, a hitter choose to go the opposite way in a big situation because he knows the holes open over there, you know, and, and it does affect the way pitchers are going to pitch you because then the last couple of seasons, you have a big lefty up, you just pound them inside, let them pull it. We've got four guys over there, right? Now there's holes in, you know, there, uh, let's say there's a guy in first, first baseman's holding the runner on. Now there's a big, big hole. You know, maybe I don't pound them inside. Maybe I pitch them away and I make a mistake and he hits a home run. So, that, yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's going back to more normal baseball. Last question. I'll get you out of here. Talk about the adjustment of 
spring training, you're pitching in small ballparks, five, 6,000, whatever it is. Now, all of a sudden, you head to Comiskey Park or you head to Cleveland or you head to St. Louis where it's 55,000 and the, and the sight lines are different. Is there, is there, is that something that affects you guys as pitchers at all? I mean, it makes, we're all human. So, yeah, I mean, there's more adrenaline, there's more heart beating. Uh, but the more you do it, obviously, the, you know, the easier it is for you to, to focus more and, and, and to execute. Uh, when you're young, uh, yeah, your heart's, your heart's beating and that's why you play, right? That's, that's why, you know, you're playing at the biggest stage. Uh, and early in the year, I always put a lot of pressure on myself, especially as a closer. Um, you know, the worst thing for a team is to get off to a good start, you know, ev- everywhere else except the bullpen. Uh, you know, you don't want to have that lingering doubt for the rest of the year. Like, oh, you know, is three runs enough? Is four runs enough? Like our bullpen's been blowing stuff left and right. And as the closer, you know, my job's to, to nail down the wins. So uh, the worst, I, I always put a huge amount of pressure on myself early in the season uh, to get off to a good start, uh, to get the team off to a good start. And unfortunately, sometimes it didn't work out. But, uh, you know, you were, pretty, uh, you were pretty good, man. You, were pretty I was, good. but I, I, I did blow a couple opening day saves. And, and I, you know, I guess it was just giving myself goals, you know, I, I I think one year I had like a 54 ERA after my first outing. And I was like, all right, now, now I go to work. Now I have to bring that thing down. So, right. um, yeah, I think everybody puts that pressure on himself. I don't care if you're a 24-year veteran like Pujols or if you're a rookie making your first team. Everybody wants to get off to a good start. Everybody wants to get their first hit out of the way, get their first strikeout out of the way. Uh, you know, if you're a starter, you want to get your first good start out of the way. And uh, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's what happens when you're in the arena, right? You yeah. When you're on the stage, you're either going to perform or you're not. So that's right. Um, but that's that's why we we play it's the game. Sports, man. That's why it's sports. Yeah. That's right. All right. Give me a couple. Give me. We'll get you out of here. Give me a couple teams in each league that you like. One. You know. Give me. Give me a sleeper team in each league that you like first. Start with. Uh, uh, sleepers. I don't know if they're sleepers, but uh, I mean, uh, I think the Orioles are going to be better than yeah. I, I, they seem to be. Everybody's kind of pick. Uh, they do have some talent this year. Uh, I think. I think they could make a, a run if they want uh or if they stay healthy not if they want um the rays are gonna be good uh what else uh Team like the cubs a lot of people think the cubs could be a little bit better i don't think they have enough pitching their okay. offense looks good uh they do have some guys that uh you know if if they come back to their career norms they could right. be a, you know bell and i know they got bellinger over there now um i still like the astros even though with, with their injuries and everything uh you know they're 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 starting staff one through five is is pretty formidable um, the Mets, I think might be a disappointment this year. They're already off to a bad start losing Diaz. Yeah. Um, you know, their, their, their two horses are horses, but they're also getting up there in age and you never know, um, you know, an injury here, an injury there. Um, the Braves, the Braves look loaded. Uh, I know they're, that's not a shocker. I think everybody's picking them to have the best record in the, in the NL, uh, right. all the projections and stuff. Braves look loaded. Uh, they have depth. They have guys in the minors. Uh, you know, they have six or seven starting options for, in the rotation. Uh, they have young position players. Uh, they have some veterans thrown in there. That they, they look like they have every every box checked. Um, Will Otani finish the year with the Angels? <laughs> I say yes. I, okay. I I honestly don't see a team that has anything that could trade for him. Really, okay. I mean, do you see a team giving up a top pitching prospect and the top hitting prospect? Like, like that's what it's going to take to start the conversation. And I don't really see like not not even like their top prospect like top prospects in baseball. Yeah, um, right. I, I just don't see teams that have that much talent that are willing to get rid of it. You know, like the Rays the Rays might have that much talent, but are they going to trade for an Otani and sign him? No. no. 
Right. So uh, his market's kind of limited, honestly. Um, probably Mets, you know, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers are probably the three teams, really. That's about it, right? I mean, that's that's not a big market if you're, you know, going into a free agent year and wanting everybody to sign you. Um, right. every, that's not to say every team doesn't want him. It's just, you know, there's only a handful of teams that can actually afford him and where it makes sense. Um, right. I, 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 you know, MLB baseball is trying to make the Angels as, as competitive as right. they can be, right. but. Uh, I just don't see it in their cards again this year. I know their their rotation is a little better. They got Sandoval, who, who's a good starter, and Otani, obviously. Um, but I just don't see, I just don't see them winning the West again. I don't, and and uh, it's unfortunate because they have two, you know, generational talents. It's great. It's crazy. I see them trading. I see them trading Trout before I see them trading Otani. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. Well, Chris yeah, Perez, but, appreciate it, man. We will definitely check back in with you as we move through the baseball season. And uh, hopefully you can find a mate to, mate to jump on the plane and go to Houston this weekend, man. I'm hoping. Yeah, if anybody hears this, they want to go. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You got it, Chris. All right, we'll talk soon, buddy. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.